Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Welcome to the Beyond Bearers podcast. I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Are you looking for a new challenge and digging through the abyss of job postings and company profiles that you don't quite understand? Why not consider looking internally within your own organization and build upon the foundation you already have? Today, we're speaking with Mia Phillips, who shares with us her 30-year career journey from a summer job at a car wash to becoming a senior executive leader for the world's largest automaker, Toyota. Throughout her career, Mia has gained diverse experiences within Toyota, taking on exciting challenges with new responsibilities. Mia spent her early years working in field operations, collaborating with Toyota dealerships. She gained invaluable consumer insights that helped her succeed in future roles. From sales operations to marketing and advertising, Mia has helped Toyota authentically connect with its consumers, especially to its multicultural population. Her work has won numerous awards, and she is now responsible for advertising and media strategies for Lexus. In this episode, Mia shares her perspective on how to embrace new opportunities, make big decisions with confidence, earn support and respect from others, and succeed on your own terms. Visit imbeyondbearers.com where you will find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Mia. Welcome, Mia. So great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So um, you have this incredible career track record and you've achieved a lot of amazing things. I want to just kick off with um, having you share your story and tell our listeners what your career journey has been like and uh, what you've learned along the way. Yeah, I'm happy to. My career journey has been quite the experience. I have been with the Toyota organization, Toyota Motors North America organization. It'll be 30 years in September of this year, which is amazing in and of itself. I know no one stays with companies 30 years anymore. Um, And it has been, for the most part, a fantastic journey. I started off probably as low as you can start off in a company. And I was working really just over the summer. I was a summer employee looking to pay for a vehicle that I had purchased, ironically, um, (laughs) while I was still in college. And my job was working at the car wash of Toyota Motor Sales Headquarters and basically handing out keys to the, the car wash attendants who washed executives' vehicles as well as uh, the company fleet that uh, employees were able to use. And that's how I started. At the end of the summer, my managers were so pleased with the work that I had done, they wanted me to stay on permanently and work for Toyota permanently. I, at that time, never saw envisioned myself working for Toyota or any really business. I was a biochemistry major and looking to go into medicine. And so it was odd that I would be given this opportunity to to work for Toyota. Fortunately, I could see beyond the car wash in terms of (laughs) my ability to climb and grow within the organization. And, you know, a few people had talked to me about career trajectory and the possibilities. And it took me a few days to think about it because I hadn't changed my major in order for Toyota to pay for my schooling, which is one of the things that they offered to do if I signed on at that time. I would need to change my major from biochemistry to business administration. So after three days of crying and stressing, I 
decided that I was going to go for it and did. And 30 years later, here I am. It's been an amazing ride. I have literally traveled all over the world with this company. Uh, I've lived in several different places with the organization. And like I said, for the most part, have loved every minute of it. And the one key lesson I think that I've learned in this journey that has been Mia and Toyota for the last 30 years really is being adaptable uh, and not looking at things at, at, at face value to, to try to look beyond the face value of what's being presented and look at possibilities, which is very difficult for me because I am very much a face value person. I'm very transparent uh, with what I'm feeling and thinking and what I'm seeing. And I take things at face value. I don't like to have a lot of assumptions. And so for me to look beyond that at possibilities is difficult, but it has been a key lesson for me uh, in, in being adaptable and not taking things at face value, but looking at the possibilities beyond those things that are being presented that has really allowed me to continue to grow and develop and eventually lead um, in, an in a very large organization full of brilliant people. Wow, what an incredible story. And from a car wash uh, over a summer to um, being a leader in the world's leading automaker and a 30-year career there, wow. Um, what strikes me is how uh, serendipity in some ways played a role there. And like you recommend, you know, being adaptable and kind of seeing the opportunities and um taking advantage of that as they go, oftentimes um, people tend to be a little afraid of that kind of, you know, what they consider a risk. I'm going down this one path, I'm, I'm doing biochemistry, I'm applying to med school, how can I switch, how can I give up, or what, what if I took this on and it doesn't pan out well? What helped you switch lanes in, in these major decisions? And as well as even in your journey at Toyota, you've taken on a variety of very different roles. So what has consistently helped you be that adaptable? I think by nature, I, I am a risk taker. Um, I say that I'm a risk taker, but I take smart risks. I take measurable risks, specific risks. Uh, not all risks are equal. But I think having that risk taker mentality has helped me accelerate. Uh, it definitely has helped me. It helped me to see beyond what I was looking to do as a young person and, and find a completely different career. But even within Toyota and moving from role to role, switching those lanes has not come easily to me necessarily. But seeing the risk and the potential reward um, has, has been really helpful. And I think the other part of my personality that comes into play as it pertains to switching lanes is that I'm a constant learner. Mm -hmm. And so my brain is automatically rebooted every time I get into a new job. And over the course of my career in this organization, just the course of my field career, which was the early part of my career when I was working very closely with our dealer body and their consumers on how we as, a, as an organization could, can be a better organization to both our dealers and the ultimate consumer, I was changing jobs every year, every 12 months, 12 to 15 months. And I've had several roles within the organization over the course of 30 years because of that change. And I, I start to look forward to doing that next new thing. My mm. brain uh, gets uh, rejuvenated every time it's time for me to learn something new. What's been great about the roles that I have taken on most recently is that I'm learning something new 
while still at the very core of the job having the experiences that support my success in these roles. So just enough newness to keep that brain rebooted and re-energized, but enough at the core that I am very competent in that helps keep me successful. That's amazing. Tell us, uh, speaking of which, tell us a little bit about your uh, most recent role and uh, what that looks like, how you create impact. Yeah, so my current role is the senior manager of Lexus Advertising and Media. And it is an exciting role. It is uh, a fantastic role. It is a large role, and it keeps me very busy. Being a senior manager in the Lexus organization, um, especially heading up advertising and media, is a little bit different than it was for me in the Toyota organization. In the Toyota organization, I did something similar. So again, going back to that core example of building upon jobs that I have done before, but having something a little new, I was responsible for the advertising and lifecycle management and marketing of just a group of Toyota vehicles. So Toyota's crossover utility vehicles, which are the fastest growing vehicles in the automotive industry and um, being responsible for the number one selling vehicle in the Toyota or Lexus for that matter lineup, um, Mm -hmm. RAV4. So all of the the, um, stress and and, and the pressure that comes along with having that particular role uh, has helped me in the role that I'm in currently. But the difference is instead of just being responsible for a group of vehicles, albeit the largest and most, uh, the the vehicles with the most volume in the Toyota lineup, now I'm responsible for the entirety of the Lexus lineup. So it, it has certainly the background that I had in my former role at Toyota uh, has helped prepare me for this responsibility of really being responsible for the entirety of the Lexus lineup, as well as the media. So not only am I responsible for leading the team that uh, comes up, uh, that that handles the production and the marketing and the advertising of each vehicle, but I also oversee the team that places those vehicles or brand campaigns, uh, whatever messaging we're trying to get across in the appropriate media channel. So definitely the impact that my job has is well felt across the organization. I work closely, obviously, with the sales department and with our product planning department to talk about what, you know, what's next for the vehicles to really understand those vehicle life cycles, as well as working closely with three agencies who work on our behalf to come up with the creative to help develop the appropriate creative for the appropriate vehicle. And then finding the appropriate channel, media channel uh, and media opportunities for all of this wonderful creative that we're building to run in. It's been an exciting run and it's just, it's very impactful to the entire organization because our sales department and our dealers depend heavily upon us to, to develop creative that's going to resonate with consumers and going to sell the vehicle and, and place that creative in media channels that will be seen by consumers and, um, and be able to be consumed in the way that they would like to consume it. So getting the right product in front of the right person at the right time is super important. So Super Bowl wasn't a very busy time for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Super Bowl is always a busy time. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting this year that I did not have an ad in the Super Bowl. But when I talk about one of my proudest career accomplishments, it is that on the Toyota side of the business, I actually was responsible for two Super Bowl um, spots. And I was working on my third right when I got moved to my latest position. And I recently found out that my 
two Super Bowl spots that I did see through to the very end made USA Today's ad meters top 100 Super Bowl ads of all time. They were number 50 and 52, I think. That's so, fantastic. Congratulations. That. That's <laughs> so amazing. Thank you. thank you. I'm very excited about that. That's incredible. So the scope and scale and complexity of what you're responsible for, Mia, is so huge. I mean, first of all, you're working with the world's largest automaker, a multi-multi-billion dollar company uh, with a global footprint, one of the most premium luxury brands, and responsible for the entire fleet. And, you know, big dollars, I'm sure, with advertising and media budgets uh, and a large complex team, both internal and external, that you have to collaborate with. Given that, um, unlike a lot of people that are in the advertising and media space that have spent their entire careers in that space, that's not necessarily your background or training. You've come from a lot of diverse um, types of experiences and and um, now are a very successful executive in this space. Did you ever struggle with any fears or limiting beliefs at first when you stepped into this space of uh, media and advertising in particular? Yes. So definitely, as you've said, I have ended up becoming an established and well-respected respected marketer and advertiser, but you're right. I didn't necessarily start off in this space and I have taken a journey that most wouldn't probably say would lead me to this space. So with that does come a, you do have some fears because some of the people who report to me have only ever worked in advertising or media that is their full existence. They are full-on subject matter experts. With my, the bulk of my career coming from our field organization, I am definitely one of the jack-of-all-trades uh, Toyota journeymen. There are, there are two different types of Toyota folks. There are the folks that have been in their job and done kind of the same thing and have been on the same Uh, trajectory in the same department for a long time. And there are people like me who have moved around the several jobs and, and uh, made a career out of learning about all areas of the organization. So with that does come a little fear that, Hey, am, am I going to be able to manage these folks who this is all they've ever done and how am I going to have credibility with them because they know that I have had several different roles. I think now that I've been in this space, uh, the advertising and media space for a while, I didn't have necessarily that fear coming to this most current job, but certainly my first job really where I was responsible for marketing and, and at that point, it was for the Toyota brand and multicultural marketing. There was the fear that I had folks uh, who worked for me and certainly at the agencies around me who I'm sure were questioning why I was selected for that job when my background, other than my degree, uh, which was a business administration degree with a concentration in marketing, um, and, and the work that I had done on my MBA, really, those are the only two things that would lead you to believe that I was able to do what I had signed on to do. So there so are how did, fears, how did you overcome think, that? Though? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, when I thought about the totality of my experience, and I realized that the, that the totality of my experience added value that, uh, and, and had, and, and because of that experience, I had insight into the comp- not only the company, uh, Toyota, the organization, but the consumer because mm-hmm. of all of those years actually working directly with consumers, which is the major difference in someone who has had any field experience in our organization and someone who has just come out of college and worked directly in advertising is that they very rarely get a chance to speak one-on-one with consumers where for 15 years, that's 
all I did, um, that that was in and of itself valuable. So, so at the end of the day, what I did to overcome those fears were rely on the, the things that got me there. The people who were placing me in the positions, because lately in my career, I'm not interviewing for positions. I'm, I'm being placed in positions. And as I'm being placed in these positions, the people who are doing the placing or kind of looking at my breadth of experience and they're picking up on that. And so it was just for me kind of taking a look, a step back and looking at my breadth of experience in the same way someone from outside of the organization or who was looking to place me somewhere would look at it and um, understand the value that I was bringing to the organization. Mm-hmm. And so you were really able to those things. So you were able to, take inventory of everything you brought to the table and really take stock to say, here's what I, here's all the value that I do bring to the table. And then you're stacking it with new experiences, new learnings um, that then make your inventory even bigger. Yes. So across all of these um, incredible roles and experiences, um, what, would you describe as your unique strength or superpower? Oh, uh, my superpower would probably be, uh, normally I lean on transparency because I do believe that it has helped me. But what I would say really beyond transparency is my superpower is con- having conviction without judgment. Mm. That, I believe, is what has allowed me to excel in the organization, what has allowed me to build relationships uh, with people uh, inside of the organization, as well as our agency partners and other uh, suppliers with whom we work. Because at the end of the day, people can trust that I am telling them the truth. Mm-hmm. And they can trust that I'm going to make a decision based on my version of the truth. Mm-hmm. And if our versions of what needs to be done, I shouldn't say my version of the truth, but my version of what needs to really be done in order to move something forward. If our, if our versions are ever not aligned, I'm not going to hold anyone in judgment for that. And I'm not going to not listen to anyone else's point of view um, in order to help me make that decision. But at the end of the day, I have enough conviction to make a decision and either and and be able to deal with the repercussions of making that decision. So if the repercussion is that I fail, then I fail fast and I get up and move on. And it's something that a lot of people in the organization are afraid of because you never want to fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and although our organization has done a good job of telling people, Hey, it's okay to fail. As long as you fail fast, you get up, you learn something from it and you move on and you don't com- uh, have make the same mistake twice. I, a lot of people don't trust that that's true mm-hmm. <laughs> because there aren't a lot of, examples of failures that are lauded or touted within an organization. Um, So I I think that that does make me unique because I, I do have conviction, but it's not so much that I am not approachable and I can't be swayed one way or the other, because if you make a compelling argument, I will listen. I'm not so stuck on my own conviction that it's the only thing that I can see. Again, going back to seeing beyond what's at face value. But if you tell a compelling enough story that makes enough sense, then perhaps the decision that I will ultimately make will be different than the one that I had set out to make in the beginning. But -hmm. it's that conviction without judging others for their own conviction Mm. or for what they're trying to get done, I believe has been my superpower. Conviction without judgment. I I love the sound of that. 
That um, requires courage, though, um, right? I mean, it, you can't have conviction if you're lacking courage or confidence. And um, I've had the privilege of knowing you for many years, and I've always been inspired by your incredible confidence. And that's very authentic, and it um, stems from within. It's not something you put on. What helped you develop that? Or how would you guide someone starting out in their career of developing that ability to have conviction, to be willing to fail or stand up for what you believe in? Yeah, I, I think in my case, and it's, it's going to sound cliche, but definitely my ability to be authentic and to feel comfortable with my authenticity and to have conviction all came from my mother who encouraged me to be that way at a young age. Without that, I don't know if I would. My sister would tell you that I probably would, even if my mother hadn't encouraged those things, <laughs> because it's just in my nature uh, to be that way. Um, but I think, you know, if I were to say where it stemmed from, it would probably stem from having that encouragement from my mother excuse me, my mother at, a, at an early age. However, that doesn't mean that you can't develop those skills because not everyone is going to have a mother or a parent or a friend who will instill those types of values in you early. Mm -hmm. And so what, what has helped me is just practicing uh, those skills. Practicing, it sounds... It sounds crazy, but practicing authenticity. And when I say practicing, it's not being someone different than who I am, but in any situation that I have to be authentic and to, and to put my authentic self into the world or the universe, I do that. Mm. And I take note of how it's being received. Um, I think one of the things that I practice exercising, which also helps, is having as high of an EQ as I do an IQ. Mm. So even if I am being my authentic self in the world, I'm looking at how that is being received by people. And what I always tell younger folks within the organization who who do admire my authenticity and admire my conviction and my um, willingness to, to take risks is that you, it, it's important that you measure how it's being received and that you tone it up or down. You don't, you're not changing yourself by toning yourself up or down. You're being strategic in how and when you leverage the different sides of yourself because every, everyone has different sides of themselves that come out in different situations mm -hmm. and there may, it, where it may be appropriate, you know, I would say in general that if you talk to someone who knows me at work and someone who knows me outside of work, you're going to get the same sort of story. The level of, intensity of those stories may change based on the work environment. So it's funny that I was always saying, well, I told, used to tell my mother going back to my mother, I want to be my true self at work. And she's like, everybody doesn't need to see your true self all the time. <laughs> you, you need to understand how people are reacting to you and whether or not, you know, all of your true self needs to make it into the office every day. You know, you can be true to yourself without... <laughs> Well, your mother Without certainly had great advice. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, right, right. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a great point because um, I've certainly encountered that many times of, um, you know, seeing someone whose uh, presence or communication may not necessarily be appropriate for a certain environment, but they tend to defend it by saying, well, I'm just being myself. I'm being my whole self. Um, I think your advice is be yourself at all times, but calibrate it based on your environment and your audience. So you demonstrate yeah. more emotional intelligence 
um, rather than being rigid in your definition of authenticity. Yes, yes, that, that's absolutely the case. That was well put. Thank you for, for reframing that. That's exactly what I'm saying. It is important that you are yourself, uh, but you need to understand the environment and the circumstances and timing and re and again show up in those situations appropriately so moral of the story is always listen to mom yes <laughs> <laughs> that, that is my moral yes <laughs> um how have you um you know, what patterns have you seen um, in the workplace where perhaps women are not showing up with as much confidence or owning their success? Are there, you know, over um, your 30-year career and in such a large global organization, but as well as seeing so many vendors and partners and other agencies that you get to collaborate with, you have a unique vantage point, um, also a global vantage point. Are there some patterns that particularly grab your attention where you might feel, hey, you know, if this is something that's getting in the way or you're not owning your success or it's affecting your confidence? Uh, are you talking about in other people? In other in helping people, helping other yes. people? Yeah, you know, have yeah. you seen women yeah. not showing up with confidence and, and certain patterns? Yeah. Oh, yes, for for sure. And And I've had... I've had conversations with women in both areas, with women who are showing a little too much confidence for where they are at, at the stage that they are in their career. And I know that sounds terrible, but there, there is definitely a line between confident and cocky. Mm. And so we, you know, I've had those conversations as well as conversations with women who just aren't showing enough confidence in who they are and what they're capable of. And I, what I typically do in the case of women who are displaying, who are under displaying their confidence is have conversations with them and ask them some, some questions that I would probably ask in an interview setting by having them tell me what, what do you think are your greatest strengths? Mm. And then what if I asked your supervisor what your greatest strengths are, what are what would he or she say those are? And that helps to get some of what they feel are their strengths or what sometimes is easier. And a lot of times it's, it's amazing that the answer differs. If you say, what does your supervisor think that the answer is a little bit different than what I I may think, or another person may think uh, about their own strengths, and then talk to them about situations where they're leveraging those strengths, and then talk more about, well, that's the, this is a start from where your confidence, confidence can stem. Your confidence can stem from these things that you're already doing that you know are your strengths either personally or you know it professionally because your supervisor has said it in some form or fashion through a performance appraisal or through um, just uh, checking in and connecting and having them leverage those things in more situations. I think there was a program that we went through with the Gallup organization at Toyota a long time ago called Lead With Your Strengths. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I truly believe in that concept of leading with your strengths. I don't think that you should ignore uh, the things that you're not good at, which uh, is a whole other conversation, um, because you need to, and in some cases, you'll need to hone those skills and become better at those skills in order to get to the places or the, the, get the jobs or uh, the career trajectory that you want. But definitely, Leading in, uh, leaning into your strengths and leveraging them at, at, at all times is super important and it will help build confidence. And so those are kind of the conversations that I've had with women is to unearth what those strengths are, either the strengths that they think that they might have or others think that are their strengths and then having them lean heavily into those strengths in order to build confidence. 
That's an interesting approach of kind of treating it almost like an interview conversation because in effect, you're giving them evidence of their own success and their own strengths so that that evidence helps them believe in it more. Um, And then also helping them double down on their strengths so they can keep getting better at what they're already great at. Yeah, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah, just a sounding board, right? It's uh, uh, it's uh, interesting how easily we forget all the things we've done or are capable of, and sometimes all it takes is uh, you know someone to remind us of it. So let's talk yeah. about um, failure. You mentioned you have um, you know your not afraid to take risks, uh, you fail fast and learn from it. When you step into a new situation, it's something you're unfamiliar with, so there's potential risk and potentially you know, a 50% chance of failure. Give us some specific things you mentally go through to say, here are the first three things I need to figure out or here's how I'm going to approach the situation. Typically, if I'm going into a situation with, that, I, that is unfamiliar and um, there are going to be risks associated with that unfamiliarity, the, the first thing that I do is have a plan. Hmm. And I develop that, I, I guess, step one in that plan is talking to the people who are already there. Um, and so the, one of the first, the very first things that I try to do when I'm stepping into a new role is having one-on-one conversations with everyone as, or as many people in the, in the department uh, who will work for me, um, tell, uh, ha- have those one-on-one conversations with them to learn about what they do. Uh, how the department is viewed, how they viewed the department in their eyes, uh, what connections the department has to other departments, and what is working well, what's not working so well. Those, just asking those few questions in a quick 30-minute conversation really can help you, you, one, themes will emerge, Mm -hmm. and Two, you'll have a quick understanding of where the work that needs to be done, mm. um, the work that you can do, how, how I coming into this role can now add value to this role just by having those conversations with, with the folks that are already in the department and then having more informal conversations. I also do my informal lunches and coffees with maybe folks who are not in the department, but who interface with the department on a frequent basis and have their own um, ideas and feelings about how that department is currently operating and what kinds of things, what kinds of themes uh, emerge from those conversations as well. But for me, that the whole managing by walking around idea is super important uh, to make sure that you're having the conversations with the folks that are actually doing the work. And I do that probably even before I talk to the person, if that person happens to still be around that had the job before I did, uh, because it helps me understand the landscape quickly. And, and that's the importance is to quickly understand that landscape and uh, understand how you can be a value to, to those folks, uh, to the folks that are ultimately going to be working for you. Um, I do that even before I ask the question of the person that for whom I'm going to work, because I know that ultimately I'm going to need the people working for me in order to get the job done that my supervisor or my boss is going to need me to do. So, so it's a listening and learning tour. Yes, it is a listening and learning tour. 
And and so from that, um, do you have a specific approach with which um, you assess the path you're going to take because you've listened to a lot of people, you've learned a lot of great information about what's working, what's not, the things that need to be done, but ultimately you have to make the decision. And oftentimes people tend to struggle with making decisions because there's uncertainty and there's um, maybe the fear that what if I make the wrong decision? How do you go about it? Do you have a certain framework or a certain thought process in decision-making? Yeah, so that, that's that's great, Nikki. Um, one of the things that I forgot to talk about is, and I try to do it, it's very difficult to do. I find that it's more difficult the, the higher up I go in my career <laughs> because there is an expectation, um, you know, especially if I'm going, the roles that I've been going into, uh, well, a few of the roles that I've had, I won't say that all of them, but I have been um, ex- a fixer, expected mm-hmm. to fix certain things. And so what I like to do is to take 90 days before, again, that whole conviction without judgment. Let me see something, anything, whether it's me- sitting in meetings, if it's talking to someone, uh, to the people on the team, if it's behavior. Um, let me observe it for 90 days without calling attention to it unless it's just something that is abhorrent and I have to immediately, you know, uh, stamp it out or, or put, put an end to it. But I like to take 90 days before I do anything. And that's part of my process is 90 mm-hmm. days and 90 days themes are going to emerge. Um, thing, things that are going right or wrong are going to recur over that 90 days. And it helps me not immediately jump to judgment um, on something that someone or, or yeah, someone has done and it's happened one time and may not have ever happened again. It just happened to be, you know, a series of unfortunate events. And I jump immediately in on that one thing and lose credibility. So the process is usually 90 days, but I've noticed lately that I've had to cut that down to 60 days because there are just some things that people are expecting that I'm going to act on quickly. Mm -hmm. So taking the time to document, uh, I, I think in addition to observing these things, documenting these things, and then prioritizing, uh, the things that need to need some attention right away and need a decision to be made right away. And at the end of the day, making the decision based in all facts, based in the facts of observation, based in the facts of asking direct questions, um, based on facts of testing out the, my thought process, uh, with peers and sometimes with supervisors, and then just making the decision. But I think in a nutshell, that's how I go about it. It's very much observation-based. It's fact-based from asking questions, doing the appropriate research, if that's what's required as well, and then getting a feel for how the decision is going to impact those that will be impacted by the decision. That is a fantastic recommendation. And thank you for sharing such a detailed process of how you go about it, because um, that sounds so much like an innovation method, you know, so much of innovation process is sort of the 60, 90 day sprints and kind of, you know, building a hypothesis, observing it without judgment or emotion, um, just letting the facts and the evidence stack up and then reaching a natural conclusion that allows you to be far more decisive and and then make the right call with certainty and confidence. Um, that's That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And what is a success habit that um, you personally have lived by for most of your life? You know, is there 
um, something like a journaling habit or something that you do daily that is uh, your sort of I can't live without the success habit thing? Yeah, my success habit, I think that has helped me with my career uh, has been really that daily planning by setting aside time early in the day to actually plan my day. So plan, uh, make sure that I am writing down and writing down is easy for me, although sometimes I type on my computer as well. The things that I absolutely need to prioritize and get done that day because the day can quickly with all of the back-to-back meetings get away from me. Mm-hmm. So to make sure that I am executing on the things that are absolutely most important each day, spending that half hour in the morning, uh, if it requires me to wake up super early, then that's what I have to do. But spending that time, uh, uh, dedicating a certain amount of time, at least 15 minutes a day, preferably a half an hour to just think about all the things that need to get done for that day. Mm-hmm. That has been what has driven my success, um, I think, for the last 30 years, because as crazy as the days get and as many things that are thrown at me during that day, I still know the things that I have to absolutely get done. And nothing it doesn't seem like there's anything that happens that I can't handle, even if it's not on that list, trying to, and it, and it now is impacting the list because the list has to change a little bit. Being able to make those changes and understand what the priorities are for that day is always helpful. Um, when I get more thrown at me, it's always helpful to have an idea of what is already on my plate so that I can prioritize and have the appropriate discussion if at the end of the day, it's just not going to be possible to get something done that is being asked of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think with that, that has been a success habit. And, and with that, um, as you're figuring out, you know, your priority for the day, how do you manage between personal and professional demands? Um, because any, you know, um, for <clears throat> most women that have risen up highly in their careers, um, a, a lot of it also compounds with the personal responsibilities as well. How have you uh, navigated through that? Yeah, it, Nikki, that is so tough. And, and I'm having lots of conversations with women around the organization now about the work-life balance. Uh, for me, I, it, it has, my journey is going to be different than women who don't have children or women who have children because I don't have children. So there are things that I do to balance work and life that women with children probably cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, for, you know, and, and I say that to say that like on, on one of the days during the weekend, either a Saturday or a Sunday, it's typically Saturday uh, that I can get away with it, is dedicating time to myself. Whatever that time is, if, if, if on that particular day yoga is feeling like what I need, uh, yoga and a, a massage and a nice lunch and hanging out, uh, watching a movie is what I need in order to get my mind and body back in balance. That's what I do. If it is more um, laying in the bed and watching Netflix, that's what I do. But focusing on myself Mm -hmm. and having that time is super important. Um, and that's how I balance it. I don't, it, it might not get balanced during the week. There may be days like today that I get into the office at 6.30 a.m. and I don't leave until 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, what I, what I try to do is make sure that there are days that I am getting home from work. And when I get home from work on those days that I'm shutting down for at least a few hours and giving 
you know, my husband sometimes, my dog sometimes. I don't have a traditional family, but I do have people in my life that, that, that I am responsible for and who are responsible for me and, and making sure that we're happy. Um, so I, I say, however, however, as a woman, you can take that time for yourself. I, I, I have a great example of someone who worked for me who did have children, and she was one of the hardest working people I know. I mean, just it seemed like always working, but we laughed because I would come into the office. I don't have kids, so I didn't have anybody to get ready for school in the morning. I would be in the office at 6.30 in the morning, and, you know, and at night, at 9 o'clock at night, I was, my computer was usually shut off. I was in the bed so that I could be in that office at 6.30 in the morning. And so we would laugh and say, I had the early shift. She had the late shift. She (laughs) had children. She had to drop them off at school. She didn't usually get in the office until 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, or 10 o'clock in the morning. But it worked because she would leave and, and get her kids and get them all settled. And then she's on her computer working starting at like 11 and would take things all the way through till like three in the morning. She, she wasn't a big sleeper. She had to, she didn't have to be up until nine to take the kids to school. So it worked. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just having those conversations with your supervisors, with your coworkers that help you have that balance is important too. Because she and I, we we figured it out quickly. We didn't really have to have a huge conversation about it. I would get up in the morning and see emails from Sandy at 2 a.m. And like, what (laughs) in the world is happening? But those are emails that I never would have caught. Uh, You know, anything that came in after 9 o'clock, I just wasn't going to catch because I was asleep. And she was up and doing it. So I think making sure that there are folks that you can talk to that can help you balance that. Mm-hmm. is important as well, but ultimately having those conversations and making sure that you make the time for yourself, whatever that time might be, because it's different for everybody, what's going to help them keep their lives in balance. Um, for me, it's usually taking one day on the weekend and maybe twice a week, just shutting down at eight o'clock and saying, so, okay, for these, yeah, for these so- two days at eight o'clock, I'm not going to do anything. So there's no one size fits all. It's each person really trying to figure out what's right for you, but being transparent about it and collaborating with people around you so you can make it work for your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because everyone's lives are so different, so different. But my, my hat's off to the women that do have children and are able to come in and do the jobs that they do every day um and put in the 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 work every day because it it's it's difficult without them i can't imagine how how the women and i say it all the time my my hat's off to them um Mm -hmm. but to yes find those ways to make that work-life balance work for you yeah now um you are someone who's an inspiring role model to um you know lots of women in the workplace, uh, not just within your company, but outside. And especially, uh, you know, to women of color, you have accomplished so much and done so many different things. Who do you look up to? Is there, you know, a powerful, influential person that you admire um, that let's say you'd love to have dinner with or learn from? (laughs) Yeah, and it sounds so typical, but it, really is uh it, it's it's former president obama mm. i just the way that he handled really everything from you know the seriousness of the office um tragedy he he just expertly i think handled every situation that came his way and even if he if he was ever caught off guard by anything was happening, you would never know it. Um, and and I would love to actually learn from him uh, how he managed to have 
the not only the he, he, because he, he seemed to exert a lot of patience and he definitely knew the right thing to say at the right time and just to to learn to to spend a day in learning how he thought through the different situations that were happening to him i think he definitely is on my dream mentor list if if i can be half as cool and smooth <laughs> yeah. uh, with everything thrown at me as president obama was during his time uh i'll be all the better for it yep he's on my dream dinner list too that calm composed <laughs> and uh very eloquent uh you know uh, yeah. personality is just uh, uh something we can all learn from uh speaking of yeah, learning you know you've um um learned a lot from colleagues and mentors and sponsors. What's a, a specific tip or a recommendation you would give to people that are wanting to um, grow their networks or build their community or gain access to influential leaders, but perhaps they're just not confident. You know, They don't know how to approach these people or ask for help or mentorship and all that. How would you, what, what tips would you give to someone who's in that position? Yeah, my, my first tip would be just do it <laughs> <laughs> and, and be, be, be better than me in that area. I am horrible at reaching out to mentors and sponsors. I think I've become better over time. Uh, in terms of making those connections and networking, but I would, I would never say, I'd be lying if I were to say that that was my personal strength. It probably is my personal kryptonite mm -hmm. is that I don't do enough networking. I meet a lot of people and uh, have a lot in common, I feel, with a lot of people and keep those connections and and, and talk to people and stay in touch with folks, but don't necessarily leverage them for the things that I probably should leverage for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in terms of mentorship and advice and things of that nature. Um, Actually, I want to dig into that. Uh, I want to dig into that mm -hmm. just a little bit because, you know, having known you um, and, and having worked with you, one of the things that I can certainly say from direct personal experience as well is your authenticity and your talent and your determination and um, just your natural style attracts people to want to help you. So um, what yes. you said about you're horrible at networking, actually most people don't like networking because it's, it's sort of a dirty word. It's like using somebody for, uh, for your own gain. Um, Whereas the way you've gone about it is you're just yourself committed to a mission and you bring other people along that want to partner and collaborate with you and help your cause. That's what's far more powerful and far more lasting and more valuable ultimately. So how do you do that? Yeah, no, that's very interesting because I never looked at it that way. Um, you're, and you're absolutely right. I was going to say that I haven't necessarily reached out to folks to um, be a mentor or to be a sponsor, although I did have a sponsorship conversation once and let's talk about that at some time. But, um, but I, do have, I, I, I do have a natural connection to people. I naturally like, like being around people. And um, if I'm working with someone that I'm going to give my all and folks that who are by the same token giving their all to a project um, or to an organization, I tend to be attracted to in that way of, of developing um, a, a, a um, friendship or um, um, some sort of, of collegiate relationship with. So yes, I think that there is something to being authentic and those people do end up mentoring mentoring me and wanting to help me. You're absolutely right. And that, that was going to be one of my, 
things that I was going to say is that I feel like I've lucked into some of those situations that people who actually look out for me as a result of just getting to know me on some of these work projects. So I guess certainly if you're not doing some of the more active, because I, I do consider that more passive networking than it is active because I'm not actively trying to network. I'm just being who I am and working hard on projects and meeting folks and staying connected with those folks because I actually happen to like the folks um, has helped me in terms of them in terms in turn mentoring me in some in at some point in my career. Um, but I have never been an active networker uh, mm -hmm. to attend networking events. And that is where I would say, if, if I had to give advice to someone, and I do give advice to people, I give advice to be more active about that mm -hmm. um, and finding those mentors and finding the sponsors. And if you are shy about that, especially finding uh, mentors and sponsors in your organization who may already, who are likely already leaders of the organization is to start by finding uh, and developing uh, relationships with people maybe around them or mm. in their circle um, who you do feel more comfortable having those conversations with. And they can maybe then give you the advice on how to solicit um, the the leader as being your mentor or your sponsor or at least getting you uh, a foot in the door to be able to talk to the the person to understand if you if there if you have anything in common that um, would have them want to be a, a sponsor or a mentor and I have taken the opportunity of leaders within our organization who I know pretty well um, who are looking for someone to mentor, but sometimes they're just as as uh, shy as the people who are looking for mentors, and that <laughs> they don't want to be out there, you know, pounding the pavement saying, "Look, I, I want to mentor someone." So I have actually connected leaders in our organization, pretty high up in the organization, with folks that I personally know could benefit from their mentorship and who they would have an immediate connection with. Mm -hmm. And so it's important when you find people who are maybe in the circles of those influential leaders who are not always going to always be at that same level as that leader. A lot of influential leaders, you'll see if you pay attention to who they're with in the dining center or who they're walking the halls with or stopping to talk to in the halls, it's not always their peers. There are people in the organization with whom they've developed relationships, and it's important, again, using that EQ to, to pay attention to that. Um, when you're walking by a leader that you may have thought in your mind, I would love to have he or she as a mentor because I admire the way that they've done this or that. Pay attention to whom they're having a conversation with mm -hmm. because if, if you may know someone, if you don't know that person, you may know someone else who's close to that person and can develop those relationships to understand, hey, how can I get closer to Bob or Jack or Bill or whoever the, um, or whoever the person might be? Mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I would say leveraging that EQ to, to, to find someone else in the circle. If, if you're afraid to approach that person and it may not be appropriate to approach that person without having a reason mm -hmm. so that's the other thing have a reason for the approach yeah. if there is something that you admire about that that person then be authentic about what you admire about it whether or not that's in your arsenal or that that particular skill set is in your arsenal or not but don't just admire the job that they mm -hmm. that, that that they've reached because I think then it becomes a little inauthentic in that, you know, I want to eventually do what you do, but I don't know anything about how the you first got there. Yeah. 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 So bottom line, you know, find out exactly what you're looking to learn, you know, find the right leaders. And if you can get to them directly, find the people who could potentially introduce you or help you 
um, get them as mentors and always, always, always be authentic. Yeah. Great. Well, um, you have shared a lot of very specific and actionable insights. I think it's going to be so valuable to our listeners to learn from you. Um, in, as a final thought, um, what, is, what would your biggest advice be to women professionals as uh, we look into um, a very fast-paced, technology-driven environment of the future where there's tons of change, very rapid change. What do you think would be really key for women professionals to keep in mind in terms of their career success? I think at the end of the day, embrace, <laughs> embrace the change. Don't, um, that, that is really the key in this, age of fast-moving, fast-paced environment and changes is embracing that and not running from it. And learning as much as you can, curating information about what's happening, um, not only in your field, but other adjacent fields, and, or, or what's happening in um, some of the other Fortune 500 companies or, you know, for us, it's looking at other world-class marketers who may or may not be automotive marketers and what are they doing to be successful? So always having that learner mindset Mm -hmm. and never being afraid to embrace the change, which is inevitably going to come in this digital age. That's sage advice and coming from the person who is the, an incredible change agent who's constantly adapted to change throughout her career and been a lifelong learner. So thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? That is a great question. So we had this conversation offline, but I'll just out myself online uh, <laughs> as well in that... <laughs> I have uh, yet to develop my LinkedIn profile. Um, I started on it. And of course, again, going back to that work-life balance, uh, work and life have both gotten in the way of it. So I will certainly um, be updating and, and getting together a LinkedIn profile. But in the meantime, if anyone wants to reach out and have any conversations with me, uh, the easiest way to do that is probably via email at mia, M-I-A dot Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S at Lexis.com. And I'm happy to answer and be in touch. Thank you for being so generous with your time and your advice. And we will have to work on that LinkedIn profile together. <laughs> So all will do. Yeah. So you're gonna have fans that will want to connect with you, and uh, we want to. But you're also great evidence of saying that you're not defined by social media. um, That really comes down to who you are and what's right for you. So thank you again for being authentic as always, and it's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. Thanks, Mia. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.